we will get to desiring the better way, the most excellent way today. But the spiritual gifts kind of lead us into um, the Christian church, this whole idea that the Christian church has tried to organize with human wisdom for two millennia. Let's see how smart you guys are. Raise your hand if you know what a millennia is. It is, I had to look it up, so don't feel bad. <laughs> What's a millennia? A thousand years. I just knew it was a long time. I was a knew it was a long time. So sometimes I talk, you know, I just use vocabulary because it sounds like it's appropriate. So I wrote this, and I, initially I put a millennia. And I was like, what does that actually mean? <laughs> I just know it's a long time. But in actuality, the church has tried to organize the church with human wisdom for over 2,000 years versus God's original plan to allow the Holy Spirit to empower his people through what? The gifts of the Holy Spirit. In Old Testament times, uh, God organized the church around prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. So that's kind of instructive as we move forward, even though that's the Old Testament. The Old Testament, uh, today we have, uh, well, prophet, priest, and king. Prophets uh, in, uh, spoke, got a direct word from God and spoke that to God's people. The priest was uh, God's liaison to worship uh, God. And the king was uh, where all the power seated, right, uh, to enact a a. Uh, God-believing peoples, prophet, priest, and king. Today, some of the churches, Christian church, we have a pope, right? Who embodies the prophet, who is the sole person who interprets the word of God. The pope is the prophet. He also is the priest along with a menagerie of bishops and local bishops that you go to uh, to be a liaison to God. He, they uh, uh, fulfill that priestly function. And the Pope kind of acts like the king, too, <laughs> as far as issuing edicts and uh, running the, the holy state of, of the, the Vatican, right? He's a king, basically, of the Vatican. Thank you. Uh, but in 15... 17, a millennia and a half, the Protestant movement, along with Martin Luther, protested against the prophet, priest, and king having so much power in one person and the state as well, mandating your religious freedom, that uh, the Protestant movement believed in faith alone, the Bible alone, Christ alone, where we can have our truth. We don't need a prophet, priest, or king telling us how to uh, become God's people. And then since then, we have various forms of Protestant-isms organized around synods, councils, associations, denominations, congregations, boards, strong pastor, weak pastor, youth, here in this church had 
Lots of discussion about having a board-led congregation versus a strong pastor-led church. Isn't that right? And then uh, one of our own basketball players of the Phoenix Suns uh, became mayor of the city of Sacramento. Kind of went through the same thing back and forth about a strong mayor government versus a city council-led board. But back and forth, back and forth for a millennia and a half were these checks and balances of prophet, priest, and king. But many versions, many versions of this organization, but what we must do is to go back and follow God's design to allow ministry to be led by what? The gifts of the Holy Spirit, because this is God's organization. It's interesting. We don't hear this very often, do we? <laughs> in our board meetings, right? How often in our board meetings do we organize our ministry around the gifts of the Holy Spirit? This is how God organized the church. God, Christ is the head, and we acknowledge that in our bylaws and church constitution that Christ is head of this church, <laughs> right? In actuality, the Holy Spirit, God is the head, and the Holy Spirit is its nervous system. But in reality, the work of the church is done through us, the people, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, this is how we should organize and adapt um, our ministry styles. And in some sense, you have certain boards and committees and whatnot historically that kind of reflect the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But uh, those things aren't necessarily set in stone. You know, the worst, thing you could, the worst thing you could have is people that don't have that spiritual gift running that particular committee, <laughs> right? If you have someone that is not strong with mercy that's running the benevolent board, that's not a very good idea, <laughs> right? So the gifts of the Holy Spirit of your people should be surveyed frequently, should be knowledgeable, should be pursued, and uh, the ministry could and should be organized uh, and adapted to those. More often than not, the organization of the church comes down to style, personal preference, different churches that you've been to um, or have visited around Sacramento. Um, sometimes it's their contemporary or conservative traditional worship songs that they sing. Sometimes it's around the background how of their political issues, how much they lean to the left or right of particular issues, like abortion, um, like uh, the gay and lesbian issue, etc. It's interesting, if you look at a study of denominations, Quakers don't even have a, a pastor. <laughs> They're definitely the epitome of a congregational church. Us Baptists are kind of a congregational church. That kind of sounds familiar with us, right? Um, sometimes you'll see this 
even the big church that I went to, the First Baptist Church of Elk Grove, in their organizational charts, they would have the congregation is on top <laughs> in their flow chart of things because all their business is run day to day and they would take things for a congregational vote. And that's what you guys do here as well, right? So it's interesting. The Quakers, they get together like this at their meetings. They don't have a paid minister. They don't have a professional minister. If someone has a word of wisdom, right, from their Bible, they share that in their meetings historically. Uh, sometimes they're organized around whoever is the most charismatic or whoever could talk the most. <laughs> so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians that we learned, 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to be reading, um, don't be ignorant about these things, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God is the CEO of his organization. He uniquely endowed, equipped us to uh, do the work of the ministry. The wonderful word uh, charisma, charis, means a gift. Is We're all to exercise that in the body of Christ. So everyone has a role. It goes on in verse 4 to say there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There it is there. There's your reference verse. This is how the church should be organized. This is how the work, uh, church works together. So there should be uh, annual uh, gift surveys. And in fact, I kind of look at my job as a pastor shepherd is to kind of manage everyone's spiritual gifts. That's kind of how I think of my role. Um, that's certainly what I did at First Baptist Church is I was a manager of ministries and managers of people running support groups, running classes, running this, running that. Certainly my spiritual gifts, um, I am definitely stronger in pastoring and shepherding and um, my heart for evangelism. <clears throat> and certainly celebrating almost one year of preaching, teaching ministry. And so I want to thank you for this church always, always allowing me the opportunity to try on different hats and uh, try on different things. And that's kind of how we get used to our spiritual gifts. We uh, try them on for size. We receive feedback. Hopefully, if we're lucky, we have a mentor uh, and have an opportunity to go two by two, right? Go two by two um, like they did in the book of Acts. Um, I, coming upon one year, I believe God is uh, kind of moving my heart that I do have a heart for the struggling small churches, especially the Asian American churches. And it kind of comes down to not just one small church, but I kind of have a heart, heart for all of them. 
So I don't know how to minister to all of them at once, um, but that's kind of what my heart's, uh, God's leading me to. And uh, we'll see what the future holds of possibly partnering with another church. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, the Apostle Paul, after talking about spiritual gifts and the organization of church and how one is not more important than the other, he says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. What? There are greater gifts? <laughs> Besides pastor, teaching, prophecy, speaking in tongues, gifts of helps, uh, gifts of faith, gifts of giving, all these other things, he's saying eagerly desire the greater gifts. And in my Bible program, it's cool because you could click on what it looks like in Greek. And it reads, Zeloo, Mezoon, Mezon, and here's the word for charis. There it is there. Charisma. Eagerly desire the greater gift. X is a ch sound. A-R-I-S-M-A. It literally Spells of the word charisma. Eagerly desire the greater charisma. The most excellent way. It's interesting. What is excellent? What's the original word for excellent? Kata hyperbole. You know what hyperbole means, right? Above and beyond, way beyond. Eagler desire the most. He's going to show you the most excellent way. If these are good, if these gifts are cool, if these gifts are awesome, I'm going to show you a hyperbole, way something better than these gifts. Verse 28 says, And God has placed in the church, first, all of the apostles, second, the prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues, now, all, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Verse 31, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So this is kind of interesting. Even in the kingdom building, it is much less about what you know much less about what you do, much less about your accomplishments. It's about who you are. So I think when the Apostle Paul was talking to the disciples and the church, I always recall back when, when the disciples were asking each other around Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, right? I think this was in the upper room. There's a picture of the upper room right that I'm looking, looking at with them. Some reclining, some whispering to each other. This is when Jesus was predicting that someone was going to betray him. I think it was then when they asked, who's going to be the greatest in this new kingdom? All right? There was this worldly perspective. And it's easy to look, uh, have worldliness take hold of the gifts, right? It's easy to make it about us, our pride. It's easy to compare. It's easy to feel less than. It's easy to feel proud and greater than. 
possibly feelings of unfairness, maybe a hierarchy, jealousy, feelings of covetousness, covetedness of certain gifts. Remember Simon the sorcerer wanted to buy and possess certain gifts that he saw. Some gifts are more worldly, more popular, and more flashy, right? And the world rewards certain gifts. Sometimes, like I said, there's the professional minister. You pay someone to exercise their gifts. But it's more about attitude. The Apostle Paul says here, after summing up all these spiritual gifts that everyone should do their part, he focuses on the good of the whole versus the self. And he talks about love. He talks about agape love, not selfishness or self-promotion. He says in verse 31, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul illustrates, he says, and I'm just going to read it as he writes it because he writes it so well and so poetically. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecies and could fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. If I could have faith that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but have not love, I gain nothing. The love he's talking about is not brotherly love, phileo love. It's not transactional love. And it's not even familial love, love of obligation that we know. But it's agape love. He's coming down to when you minister in the body of Christ, you have to be connected to the one, the source of love. Everything we do, everything we do for one another, everything we do for God and the body and our work is because we have encountered the love of God. And he goes on to describe this love is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. This kind of love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This kind of love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Sums up, love never fails. So he's talking about some of these gifts, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For what we know in part and prophesy in part, but, what we, uh, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So he's saying what even what you do for the kingdom, 
these things too will cease. Just as all worldly things, the things I know, the things I could do, the things I have accumulated, the things that I have been uh, given awards for are basically nothing. In the end, ultimately, it boils down, it's stripped down faith are these three things. Eagerly desire the greater gifts, faith, hope, and love. Faith, if I recall, is only one, the only one that's the spiritual gift list in our survey. Faith. Which leads to hope and love. And he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Interesting, huh? After listing all these uh, positions, after detailing all these functions in the church, that one is not greater than the other, however, first came the apostles and teaching and all this stuff, he says all these things are going to go away. And if you don't have love, God's love, they're nothing. They're nothing. So this is the attitude behind all of our service in the church. And now these three things remain. So poetic, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. The only key spiritual gift is faith, is our faith, our hope. And what does the Bible define faith as? Hope having confidence, assurance in those things hoped for, yet not seen. Beautiful definition of faith. These things, three things remain, faith, hope, and love. So one spiritual gift and one fruit of the Spirit is love. In other words, it doesn't matter what our gifts are, what we do, what we achieve, it all does not matter much unless you care about others. You've heard that before. Um, that parenting advice or uh, if you're the boss of, you know, some organization or if you're in charge of some certain thing, people aren't going to listen to you, right? Unless they first know that, they, that you care about them. People aren't going to really listen. Right? So it's very, very instructive for those of us that are still parents, that are aunts and uncles that have influence sway over those that we care about. People aren't going to really listen to us unless they first know that we care about them. I'm just going to close with the verse that says we love because... God first loved us. We can love, not in a phileo way, not in a familial way, not in a uh, transactional way, but in an agape way. We can love, ego agapo, ego me, agapo. We can love because we protos, God first loved us. 
That's what it all comes down to. So it's not about what you do. It's first coming to know that we have been loved by God and forgiven by God. So let's meditate on that as we kind of close our service today and our message about wrapping up our spiritual gifts. They all mean nothing unless uh, we do it in a spirit of love. And how do we do that? We have to first come and worship before God and soak, be baptized in God's love to renew us in God's unconditional love for us, God's patience for us, God's perseverance in uh, loving us and forgiving us so that we can love and forgive others. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for our, our big brother, the Apostle Paul, who you've given the obvious gifts of pastoring, shepherding, teaching, writing to the churches in Corinth, the churches in Ephesus, to the church here in our uh, space and time. We thank you for the instructions that you are our ultimate CEO. God, you are the head of this church. As the church board meets together, may they recognize you as the head of this church. And we praise you that you choose to use your Holy Spirit, your own spirit, to work through each one of us as each one does its part. Help us to not be ignorant, uninformed about how you have uniquely gifted each of us, God, as we spur one another on toward good works, especially to those of the faith. God, we thank you for your love as being so patient with each of us until we meet again. In the Son's name we pray. Amen.